Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers and you have now connected with Parkinson's Recovery. What is Parkinson's Recovery? It's the place to be in order to be able to get ways that you can find sustained relief if you happen to be currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Many people have been calling me, asking me, what's up, what are you doing? And the answer is, I have been finalizing a book that I've been promising now for four months, Pioneers of Recovery. It's the second edition. The first edition came out in 2009. This edition is going to be out in just one week, and it contains the stories of nine individuals who are true pioneers of recovery. The nine individuals happen to be nine radio programs that I have aired over the last year and a half. So you'll actually get very familiar with the stories if you've been a regular listener of my radio show. But we've edited all of the shows, all the information, and we've compiled that into the second edition of Pioneers of Recovery. So look out for that. That's actually, I think, going to revolutionize how people look at the prospects of recovering from the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. The Mark Morris Dance Group and the Brooklyn Parkinson's Group started offering free classes for people with Parkinson's in the fall of 2001. That's 10 years ago for folks. Since 2005, the two organizations have expanded the Dance for PD program into more than 40 other communities around the world by engaging participants to dance for PD master classes, training teachers through intensive workshops, and by nurturing relationships among organizations so that ongoing classes are available to local communities. In addition to offering two simultaneous weekly classes for more than 50 participants at the Mark Moore Stancy Center in Brooklyn, New York, the Mark Morris Dance Company and the Brooklyn Parkinson's Group have offered dance for PD to an amazing list of communities. So hold on to your seat, because what I want to do is to read the communities that they've actually been present in. San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, Louisville, Ann Arbor, Seattle, Urban, Urbana-Champaign, Toronto, Edinburgh, London, Auckland, Tel Aviv, and such medical centers as Evergreen Hospital in Seattle, Jewish Hospital, Fraser Rehabilitation Institute in Louisville, Carl Hospital in Champaign-Urbana, and Beth Israel Deaconess in Boston have hosted Dance for PD demonstration classes in their facilities. It's an amazing program that has an amazing history, and better yet, I have an amazing guest today, David Leventhal, who is the program manager for Dance for PD. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Robert, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Tell me a little bit about your background. Where are you from, and how in the world did you start dancing? <laughs> I know it's it's strange to think about um 
people starting to dance because we all dance as kids, but very few of us actually follow it through to make it a um, a career. So I grew up in the Boston area, just outside of Boston in a town called Newton, Massachusetts. And um, when I was about eight years old, I tried a class that was just for boys. It was a movement class that was offered at Boston Ballet School. And, you know, um, I'm not sure I believe in love at first sight, but this was about as close as it could get. I I knew I was hooked immediately. Um, It was something to do with a combination of movement and music that I found entirely intriguing and and joyous, um, and then became a very serious ballet student all the way through high school. About halfway through that, I decided that, well, I wasn't going to become professional, and I I decided to focus on my academics and went to a liberal arts college. I went to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And at Brown, I realized that there was no ballet available, and so I started taking this thing called modern dance. And I don't know if your listeners know that much about modern, but modern is a, started out as a reaction against all of the traditions and conservative, somewhat conservative nature of ballet at the time. Um, people took their shoes off and started working in, in more organic and expressive styles. Um, and so I did the same and sort of experienced this, this awakening in college and decided, hmm, maybe this is something I actually want to pursue professionally. So although I, I was an English literature major at Brown, I, I decided to move to New York soon after uh, college and, and started auditioning wherever I could. Um, about a year after that, I started working with a choreographer named Mark Morris um, and uh, joined his company uh, a year after that. And I've been dancing with Mark for now about 14 years. I actually just retired in the spring um, so that I could devote most of my time to um, doing dance for PD. So it's been a very natural transition, but if you asked me 10 years ago how that transition would go, I would have no idea that it would have been this. And I, yet I can't think of a, of a better way to uh, to continue uh, my journey and my path forward. So then how did the Dance for PD program begin? Well, it like all good things, it started really uh, completely by chance. You know, the Mark Morris Dance Group had been a roving company for many years and um, decided to settle in Brooklyn and built its own building in, in 2000. Um, so we were starting to put down roots into this community here in Brooklyn, which is a part of the, part of the city called Fort Greene. And uh, a woman named Oli Westheimer, uh, who is the executive director of the Brooklyn Parkinson Group, read about the new building. And she had been thinking a lot about organizing an activity for the members of her Parkinson Group that would not necessarily be around, surrounding, about Parkinson. She wanted people to get out and do something that was fun, that was joyous, that was not necessarily Parkinson's-focused. She wasn't exactly sure what that was, but um, you know, Oli had a dance background, and she started thinking about all the things that dancers do to help their balance and to learn coordination and to enhance their flexibility and to sequence movement in a graceful and logical way. And she realized she sort of had an aha moment <laughs> and said, you know what, all of this stuff that dancers need to do is really useful for people with Parkinson's disease. Let me see if we can make make something happen that would be beneficial both as something that's not at all about Parkinson's and something that's also all about Parkinson's. And that was dance. 
And she came to us and with the idea and said, would you be interested in doing this? And we said, yes, let's try it. Do you think that you could get one student in the room? And and, and Oli said, well, I think we can get one. And uh, that's how it started. We did have more than one in the first class, but I wouldn't say, Robert, that we had much more than one. We had maybe five or six. And some classes we did just have two at the beginning. Uh, our class now is, is a weekly class, and we have anywhere between 40 and, and 60 people in our building dancing to live music. Um, the, the program is, is taught, the faculty are, uh, it's a combination of people who are faculty members in our school and uh, members of the Mark Morris Dance Group. So it's, um, we're really bringing that, what we hope is the highest level of, of teaching and the highest level of music making to this group. And that's really important to us, that it's, it's not, um, it's not a, an afterthought, that this program really reflects all of what we um, believe in at the Mark Morris Dance Group in terms of bringing the very best dance and music experience to the community. That is an amazing and remarkable story. I personally am mesmerized every time I see professional dancers dance. I am truly awed. It is demanding and it is genuinely intense. Why did you and your colleague, John Heigenbotham, decide to get so involved with doing this program. Do you know anyone with Parkinson's disease in your family, for example? Uh, neither John nor I uh, did at the time. Um, I actually since have, have several friend, family friends and, and family members who have developed um, or, or associates who have developed the, the disease. But, you know, I think that the program really found us um, it was not necessarily something that we would have sought out, but it was something that we both gravitated towards, I think, because John and I were both very interested in um, in teaching challenges. We both did a lot of teaching leading up to the start of Dance for PD, but when the opportunity um, arose, we both jumped at it because it seemed like what a wonderful way to explore the craft of teaching with a population that uh, would really like to, to find a way of approaching movement with a sense of joy and with a sense of grace. And how can we as teachers, as, as teaching artists, uh, translate that sense of grace to a population that might have, have challenges? So uh, it really started as a teaching approach, but you know, over time, it's, it's, as all things do, developed a very, very personal spin. So we know all of the participants, or almost all of the participants, very well. Some of them have been coming to the class for seven or eight years, and it becomes a family. Um, and in that kind of setting, learning happens better. It happens faster um, because you're working with people you know, and you really can nurture and nourish their own their own journeys through this particular art form. Um, I think one of the things that I'd like to, to point out that's so important is that when Oli Westheimer approached us, she was very clear that she did not want us to teach to the symptoms. She, in fact, at the beginning, didn't really want us to know much about Parkinson's at all. She trusted that dance itself had a lot of very useful um, strategies and solutions for people with Parkinson's, and we didn't have to layer on top of that a lot of scientific literature or a deep understanding of what people were going through. She she gave us some information, but she really wanted us to, pro to approach this as dance teaching artists. Um, 
And that's really, that has continued to this day, although John and I now have read a lot. We've been to a number of conferences and sort of keep up with um, with information as much as we can. But we always approach the class in uh, with with the mindset of of passing on information that we would pass on to any other dancer, um, and that that information inherently, intrinsically, is useful to folks with Parkinson's. And on top of that, there's you know when you're in a room dancing to great music together, there's a great sense of of joy and community spirit that is that sort of moves beyond the the physical or the motor issues that we address and into a another plane i think of of bonding and community um which is which is as important i must say i'm genuinely awed by the original formulation of this particular program you must have had your doubts when you started and only two to five people were actually participants what were the original objectives of the dance for pd program well you know the original objective really was to provide a social environment in which people could explore movement uh in a in a safe way obviously without um without having to explain challenges or difficulties that they had so it really wasn't we didn't know everything that we now know about um just how beneficial different dance techniques can be for folks with parkinsons we really thought okay this is an activity that people can can do together that will bring people together but that isn't necessarily listening to information about parkinsons which i think folks with PD spend a lot of time doing, and it's important, absolutely important. But this was uh, designed as something uh, sort of outside that sphere, something that would bring people together in a different way. And certainly that has happened, but as we've gone along, I think there's, uh, what we've all learned is there's a lot of very specific movement material and technical material that we work on that actually has a very, a uh, strong effect on people in in terms of dealing with very specific things like balance and coordination and um sequencing of movement and cognitive challenges uh facial expression all these things that we have learned over time are things that folks with parkinson's may have to deal with um they are naturally addressed in the class so it's become you know it it it's still a meeting place uh community activity a way of if you will, escaping Parkinson's, but at the same time, the things that we work on in the class have all to do with with moving with Parkinson's disease, and so that's that's sort of the, the double-edged sword of the program. Um, it's both it's both, as I said, both not about Parkinson's and all about Parkinson's. <laughs> but I think the, yeah, the approach really is that we we don't focus on a specific symptom in the class. We don't say, okay, this this is an exercise that's going to help you. Uh, control your tremor. We don't do that. We don't want to bring it in, although there are certain, well, most of dancing, actually, when people are dancing fully, they find that their tremors may be lessened, and that's something that we think is, is wonderful, but it's not it's not necessarily an, an objective. So a lot of it just has to do with intent um, and, and the sort of philosophy behind what we do. It is an arts-based education program. Clearly, the program has evolved over the last decade. Have the objectives then changed over this time? 
It's such a great question. Um, you know, the objectives are really the same. I think the difficulty, it's not a difficulty, but as John and I and, and Misty Owens, who's our, um, our third founding teacher, as we've developed material and learned more about Parkinson's, I think we've, we've been able to integrate some specific ideas that may be more useful for folks with Parkinson's than we may have at the beginning, just because we know more. So everything that we teach is still, is still dance. It's still you know, very, much, um, very much engaged with dance techniques and dance styles. But there's, there's just a little bit more of a focus towards, um, well, I guess we we're better at highlighting exactly what people have told us they want to work on. But that said, you know, the objectives really are uh, the same from the beginning. I think in some ways they've, they've just become heightened. You know, I, I think there's a sense that um, the, the social interactions that we, that we were hoping would develop have developed tenfold more than we thought. And in many places, the dance class has been a catalyst for other programs. So here in Brooklyn, for example, the dance class was the first thing, but then people really found that they liked to sing along with the music. So we developed, the, the Brooklyn Parkinson Group developed a singing class uh, that was led by the same accompanist who played for the dance classes. Uh, and in other cities, we've seen the same model. So the, the sense of social bonding that happens in the dance class also is a, is a sort of empowering catalyst to have people say, hey, we want to be more active in our communities. We want to do things that are, um, that are good for us, but also are about being together and taking care of our needs as a group. And I think that's a very important and, and somewhat unexpected uh, result or spinoff from, from this program. It is indeed. Before learning a little bit about the Parkinson's uh, for PD program, many people might have thought that Parkinson's and dance are surprising bedfellows. But with 50, give or take, participants in your program in Brooklyn, obviously that's not the case. What does the world of dance really have to offer people who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's? Well, when you think about what dancers have to do to... Uh, to, to execute movement, you, you start thinking about um, uh, strategies and problem solving and ways to use music that are all forms of cues. When you think about what a, a professional dancer has to do on a daily basis, a professional dancer has to be able to learn new movement and apply it right away. So when a choreographer teaches you or a teacher teaches you a phrase, you learn it, and then you repeat it, and you repeat it again and again. And that process over time allows the movement to become more automatic. Um, that, and I use that term very intentionally, because as you know, with, with Parkinson's, people tell me, you know what, I really have to think about every single thing that I do. I can't take anything for granted. And that's really exactly the same challenge that professional dancers have, where you're given new material you have to make sense of all the time. You're always using your brain to process that information and eventually over time practicing and practicing, making it automatic. So the, the thing I think that holds the program together is that dancers and people with Parkinson's, believe it or not, face really the same challenge, which is how to bring logic and grace um, and a sense of joy and effervescence to the movement that they that they have to do obviously with dancers it's a, it's um 
it's a choice. I mean, it's something that for many of us, it's a job, but it's it's more than that. It's a passion, and it's something we follow. I think for people with Parkinson's, it's not a choice. Like they, you know, people with Parkinson's have to think about intentional movement all the time, um, and that's what dancers train to do. Um, over time, we have also seen in the Parkinson's class that people become more automatic in their movements. And I remember a very specific example. We we give a very similar phrase to start each class. Um, one day we started to switch it up. We started with something else. Half the room keyed into the new combination, and half the room did the old combination. And I was thrilled as a teacher because, you know, half the room was, was sort of engaged in exactly what the, the detail of what I was giving, but the other half was proving the power of what what dancers call muscle memory, which has nothing to do with muscles and all to do with brain patterning. Um, and they were doing something automatically, and that's exactly what people say folks with Parkinson's can't do. So I, I saw an, an incredible um, realization of that of that action. So it's you know it's really a, a very I always say that um, dance is is sort of a very well-fitting glove around Parkinson's. They they have a they have a lot to say to each other. The other thing that dancers do all the time is use the imagination and use images and music in the service of movement. And so these these two things, both the the use of imagery and very strong rhythmic intonation is valuable both for dancers and for folks with Parkinson's who tell us, you know, when you describe things using imagery, I get it so much better than when somebody tells me to do something mechanically. Uh, and so for us, it's like, well, that's that's how dancers learn, and we're very glad that that also applies to um, to our dancers with Parkinson's. It's clear to me there are amazing and remarkable benefits to people who would participate in a Dance for PD program, and exercise is one of them. What are the other benefits that people might have from participating in a program in addition to those that you might have already discussed? Mm-hmm. Well, some of this, what I'm, some of what I'm going to say is actually based on some preliminary research studies that have been done in various places. Um, people have found that it, it helps in terms of short-term mobility. Um, there's There have been significant improvements in, in stability as well and sort of figuring out how to support your own body, support your spine, support your legs. Um, I, I think there's um, – we've seen in a study that was recently done in Freiburg in Germany, uh, decreased rigidity in limbs, uh, improved facial expression. These are things that, as you know, mean a lot to people with Parkinson's, but it's very hard for – um, for people to know how to approach in other in other modalities, so something like facial expression, you know, it's it's the way that you express yourself. It's your soul coming out, and to be able to find a place where you can use your face along with your body to express something or to um, to be part of a of a of a scene that we might do in a class, I think that's very empowering. And I'm not sure it's not that just that they're working on using their face, but they're they're fully engaged in expressing a movement idea or expressing a theatrical idea using their whole body. Um, I think it, it also provides a place where participants, the dancers, and their their spouses or partners or care partners can do something positive together. And this is something that we had from the very beginning. We invited not just people with Parkinson's, but 
but all you know their families, their friends, um, partners, spouses, and and um, caregivers as well. And I think that's been a very important dynamic throughout the whole program. Very often we'll see uh, spouses or partners come in, and, and they they maybe have had a frustrating week. Um, and and this is a place for them to come and see each other in a completely different light. Uh, when you when you're dancing together, even if you're not partner dancing, you're still seeing somebody as maybe they they were before, or seeing somebody in a completely new light, seeing them approach movement in a way that's not frustrating, but is is extremely positive. Um, and that's been a that's been a wonderful um, effect of the class. I think, in general, it's also changed people's attitudes about what living with a chronic illness means. Um, I think there's a lot of information out there that, quite honestly, is fairly depressing. And um, I'm always in favor of more information rather than less. But this is this is a place where we see people's attitudes shift. The decision to come to this class can be difficult for people. It's you know it is definitely a leap of faith to say. I have Parkinson's and I'm going to go dance. But the reward is that your attitude about what you can do and about the possibilities that are out there for what you can do physically, uh, emotionally, cognitively are much wider and broader than you may have thought before. And so that attitude shift is very important. It's a hard thing to measure. Um, we are trying to to roll out some some initial studies, preliminary studies about this particular um, uh, benefit, but it's something that we hear from people all the time. And I think along with that is a is really a shift in confidence. This is something we've heard again and again from participants that they they don't feel confident when they move. They they feel um, hesitant. They're nervous. They're anxious. When people come together in a dance class and they're they're dancing in a group and there's great music supporting them and the, the movement is stimulating, they feel a great sense of achievement. I think this is really important, especially with Parkinson's, which which can be over time, you know, really quite quite demoralizing. The the aspect of this that I that I want to touch on briefly is the aspect of aesthetic reward. We bring into this class actual Mark Morris choreography. And in other classes around the country, around the world, people bring in real choreography from choreographers who are out there or uh, who, are, who are working. And this sort of contact with, with art, you know, the ability to learn an actual dance, is, is a very powerful message. It says, you know what, we believe that you can do this. We believe that you should have access to great works of art, in, in dance at least, and, and in music, um, and that you're, uh, by learning these dances, you are participating in a broader artistic community that is more than just simply practicing steps. It, it, is, it is a symbol of being a, being a real dance student and being an artist. And I think that only serves to enhance people's sense of confidence. It's like, look, I'm coming to the studio. I'm not just, I'm not just moving around. I'm actually engaged in learning real choreography. I think that's incredibly important, um, and we 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 include that in all of our training sessions. Um, so, I could go on, Robert. So I'm going to stop there. <laughs> but there, you know, um, there there's there are a number of different 
different benefits, I think, both both physical, emotional, and cognitive that we see throughout. Something that dancers do that we've been told is, is, is somewhat unusual. We take it for granted, so we don't know. But the, the sequencing of long chains of movement material, um, you know, and, and of course we, we adapt the class to make sure that everybody feels confident in what they're doing and, and we're not... Uh, we're not frustrating people, we hope, but this idea of having to learn a sequence of moves um, of various dynamics and different qualities is something I think that's unique to dance and perhaps also to Tai Chi. Um, and those two forms, people tell us, are, are much appreciated by people with Parkinson's because they really they, they provide that stimulating challenge of having to make sure you know that a is followed by B is followed by C is followed by D, and keeping track of that logical progression is both difficult and very rewarding. David, I don't currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's, but I'm motivated. I want to attend these classes. <laughs> Come on down, Robert. In Washington, <laughs> it's like this sounds really interesting. I mean, to be around other professionals and to in a basically begin training in exactly the way that you do your training is, for me, exciting. Whenever I've seen professional dancers, I've had a thought for them, I could never do that. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I can never be a professional dancer, but I can do that well, <laughs> with that, a little help. Yeah, I mean, but Robert, that's, that's exactly the attitude shift that we see happening in the class. And it's it's so rewarding because I think in dance, it, it's one of those fields that people, they they see and they feel like it's so distant from them. I could never do that. And really, it's, it's, it's such a shame for the art form because we are all empowered to dance in some way. We are all born dancing in some way. And somewhere along the line, it is either taken from us or we, by society, not by Parkinson's, but it's taken from us, like we can't do this, or uh, we give it away willingly. Oh, you know, that's too hard for me. And I think that's a great shame. Um, so the the possibility, I think, of saying, you know what, I'm going to try this. I, I will never become a professional dancer. But you know what, there's a lot of possibility out there of me being able to enjoy this and being able to feel good about doing it. Um, that's really what we're what we're hopeful for. It sounds to me then when people contact uh, your office and say, I'm interested in uh, participating in the Dance for PD program, there's not a long application that asks how many years of dance experience a person has had or what dance companies they've actually professionally danced with. It really sounds like a question of attending, that is starting, is committing to give it a try. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Our classes here in Brooklyn are are open enrollment, so anybody can come any week. You do not need to call ahead. Uh, a lot of the programs do have uh, a registration process, and I think that's that's um, that's necessary in in some places if if space is a problem. But you, you do not need to apply. You do not need to have had previous dance experience to to take this class. Uh, we welcome anybody. And the other thing is, we welcome people at all stages of Parkinson's. We feel as teachers that it's our job to make everybody feel comfortable, and it's our job to adapt the material to all of the different levels in the room. So we have people who have been newly diagnosed, who may maybe are um, you know 50, and we have people. We have a few people in our class who are in their 80s and 90s who are 
fairly advanced. So um, we welcome everybody, and we work with everybody at whatever level they are comfortable with. And anything we do in the class uh, can be modified, and the teacher's job really is to help each individual find a path to possibility and success. We don't want anyone to feel frustrated. We don't want anyone to feel left out. A lot of people ask us, why don't you do different levels? Um, and I think we feel very strongly that the message of everybody coming together um, and doing something like this at whatever level they are comfortable with is more powerful than splitting people up. Um, and it's that approach is not for everybody. We've definitely had some folks uh, with young onset Parkinson saying, you know what, I don't want to come to a class where I'm going to see what's going to happen to me. Um, and although I understand that, I, I certainly respect that point of view. I think there's, I think they would be surprised if they actually did come to the class to see the the incredible um, potential in the room and the the ability that actually is unearthed in this kind of experience. And I think they're genuinely when people do step past that and they say, "Wow, I'm so glad I, I came because it was not at all depressing. I loved seeing all the different." movement approaches and different styles that were in the room. And it was really uh, um, an intergenerational experience that I, that I loved. And, and it, is, it is that. But nobody is, nobody's forced to come. We certainly understand that people may have some hesitation. In watching the videos too, David, it's very clear to me that people have fun, <laughs> basically. I mean, after all, it's a great place to go and just simply have a wonderful time. Well, Robert, I'm glad you pointed that out. It is the, the underlying um, kernel of what we do. Um, the, the essence of dance is joy, and uh, it's, it's why we do it. It's why we probably started doing it thousands of years ago, and um, it's something that we that is essential to us. You know, when we first did a, a conference presentation, we went to the International Congress for Parkinson's Disease and Related Disorders in, in Berlin about six years ago. And we were very anxious because it was really our first time presenting this program to a group of neurologists. Uh, and we, we did a class, we did a demo class, and we showed one of the videos that you just referenced. Um, and at the end, the neurologist said, well, the class is wonderful. Um, it Obviously, the all the effects of dancing are, are very good for people with Parkinson's. But the most important thing is that people are having fun. <laughs> so that was from a group of scientists, medical people, and they, that, that was what they keyed into. Um, as you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot about Parkinson's that is not fun uh, at all. And this is a program people say, you know what, I, I'm, Parkinson's is a horrible thing, but if I didn't have it, I wouldn't have experienced this kind of program, and I'm, I have such a good time in this class. So, This innovative program has been around for about a decade. Is there any research at this point on the benefits of dance for PD? At the stage we're at now, there are some preliminary studies that are coming in from different centers around the world. Um, there are definitely some challenges, and people who have uh, talked about and dealt in Parkinson's research over the years will know these very well. Um, the, the first is the issue of adherence. You know, it's, we have to make sure as we're doing a study that we, we have a cohort and that cohort stays involved. And actually, the dance classes have a very high adherence. Um, the issue is, is that in any one class, 
we might be dealing with 15 to 25 people, and that's not a large enough cohort really to be statistically relevant. However, in the preliminary studies that have been done, um, there is there are some very positive indications, both in terms of um, motor benefits, uh, decreasing rigidity, uh, helping short-term mobility, helping facial expression, relieving some of the debilitating symptoms, um, as well as quality of life issues. And quality of life is such a huge um, a huge range of concerns that it's hard to measure, but um, all the things that I just talked about in terms of social inclusion, confidence, uh, change of attitude, um, feeling uh, more assertive in your, your physicality, all of these things are, are have been picked up on in, in various quality of life questionnaires. I think the real issue is finding a tool that can really pick up on what dance is doing particularly well. And this is something that we're working on with uh, with a, a team of uh, scientists and researchers, social scientists, uh, led by um, Dr. Cynthia McRae at the University of Denver, who's putting together a uh, a tool for us that we hope will really pick up on what's happening in a dance class. Uh, one of the issues is that for the quality of life measurement tools, the standard is, is called PDQ-39, and that, that measurement has not, we found, generally picked up on um, the quality of life changes that we've heard anecdotally are happening in the class. And so we need to figure out a way to pick up on those. I think in a broader sense, we would love to do a multi-center study that looks at, that takes, you know, 10 of these classes and a larger cohort and it can actually get some statistically um, relevant and, and meaningful information. So, the short answer is yes, there's some preliminary studies that point to very positive directions. We need to do more work on this, and it's something that we're we're moving ahead with, and we welcome uh, all all assistance and volunteers. We are we are not a research institution. We are a dance company, so we rely on um, colleagues in the in the scientific world and in the the academic world to work with us and and try to find a way to um, put into uh, scientific data and scientific language, what we see in the room, and of course, that's science is always trying to do that. We see something, we know it, we know what's happening from our observation. Science tries to find the answer of why that's happening, and that's that's sort of where we're at now. There is an instrument that I just discovered several months ago that is being used to evaluate the forced exercise program that Dr. Jay Alberts has been formulating from the Cleveland Clinic. Yes. Apparently, he's designed a little computer program. It takes five minutes, and it involves moving... Uh, uh, one place to another on the screen uh, with some physical uh, agility kinds of challenges, uh, and it assesses then the person's current situation. They're using that to evaluate the effects of forced exercise. And uh, I thought that's pretty fascinating. In fact, I've got it on my own agenda to contact Jay and to find out more about that particular instrument uh, we've used that PDQ-39 instrument and developed an online free uh, tool that people can use to track their progress across time. So they can go in and see a little uh, plot of how they're doing in terms of their uh, ability to feel better. Uh, but I think just like you say, that that doesn't get it all. <laughs> you know, 
it doesn't quite capture, particularly for the kinds of things you're seeing improvement for all that's really happening. So you might want to tell your research team about what Jay is doing because they might be able to toggle their development with his and maybe have a combined instrument. Well, I'm I'm taking notes as you speak because that's that's a great a great lead, and I will definitely follow up on that. And if you find anything out from Jay and contact him, please let me know. I'll that, let you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, I just heard about it, and and from people who've actually used it, the deal is it's simple to use, it's fun. Uh, uh, participants have no problem doing it just before they exercise every week, and it's it's he's being he's using that in a way that you're talking about so that you're going to have a lot of groups across not only the United States but across the world doing this. And so when people go in for their dance activity, they either before or after the activity, they actually take the assessment. And so you collect this massive data set on how people are doing, you know, when they started, how many sessions they've been to, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a way, it may be a way to get a lot of data pretty quickly. Yeah, great to know about. Thank you. Are there any uh, long-lasting effects that uh, you've noted, either from anecdotal observation or from the actual research that's been done? You know, I, the, the studies themselves haven't been done long enough. They tend to be 12, 12 to 16-week studies. So in terms of long-term effects that have been documented in the research, we don't know. Um, what I can say is anecdotally, um, I think the the quality of life effects are generally very long-term in terms of better confidence, um, social inclusion, uh, you know, lack of isolation, that sort of thing. The motor benefits, we don't know, and I think for each person, it's a very individual time span. So some people feel great for a couple hours after class. Some people have told us it lasts for a couple days. Um, the The thing that's really gratifying for us as teachers is that people have found various dance moves or dance techniques that they actually use in their daily lives. So we have uh, a gentleman here in Brooklyn who has really found uh, a great uh, connection with tap technique because one of our teachers, our founding teachers, Misty Owens, is a a tap teacher and um, worked with this guy, you know, both in the class and also privately and he told us that he used several of the of the tap steps to actually help him get out of bed when he had to get up in the middle of the night and that that was something that he had trouble with before but thinking of it as a as a heel dig or as a as a shuffle step uh which is a tap move that uh really helped him kind of motivate his way out of bed and that you know again we're we're not necessarily um focused on teaching life skills in this class however <laughs> the power of art to influence life has has always been um has always been interesting to me and it was great to hear that that anecdotal story where he said listen this this class is helping me figure out creative ways to cope with with cha- challenges that come up for me and so that i guess to me counts as a long-term effect although it's a it's one of those things that would probably not show up in a research study uh or at least not a not a traditional one so and I've heard similar stories from other people. Oh, um, I I felt like I was sort of moving towards getting frozen in, in a grocery store, but I thought about getting to the cashier um, in as a dancer might, as, as you know, choreographing my way to the checkout counter as opposed to trying to walk there. And, and that kind of uh, mentality and imaginative play actually helped one of our friends in, in the Bay Area sort of move move forward. 
So it's those those sorts of things that are again very anecdotal, but point to the ways that the creative approach that happens in this class can actually help people um, figure out their way around some of those roadblocks that come around. Those are such creative ways to solve problems. Do you consider the classes therapy? You know, it's uh, it's an interesting question. The 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 labels that we apply to certain things can get very uh, specific and somewhat problematic for people. Um, I think with therapy, we think about a problem or an issue or symptom that we want to address and make better. Um, and therapy is designed, in, in whatever field, is designed to uh, find a specific issue or symptom and work on it so that it is no longer um, as strong as it was before. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in our class, but our initial objective and our um, impetus behind the class is, is not that at all. So I always say, although the class can be therapeutic for many people, um, the intent of the class is not therapy in and of itself. Um, and, and by therapy, I, I only mean the um, the connection between a uh, an issue or a challenge and a specific solution. I think with dance, there are, and maybe this is why it works so well in a Parkinson's setting, dance has many, many solutions for a challenge that comes up. There, And one solution or one way of describing movement may not work for somebody else. So I think with with our class, there are many routes that are accepted and um, possible from, uh, say, a challenge to a specific response. And I think um, I think with therapy, it may be more linear in terms of this is what we're going to do to to approach this problem. Uh, and I'm, I think there are a lot of really creative therapists out there. So it's you know the question is how can we work together uh, in a way that allows each of our approaches to support and nurture this particular community. And we we work with uh, dance therapists and creative arts therapists, and many of them come to our training workshops. I think there's more than anything there's a, there's a great uh, similarity in what we do, but there's a there's a some difference I think in how we set out or how we approach uh, the movement material from the beginning. And we approach it as we want people to become better dancers. That's that's the bottom line for us. And in doing that, we hope that they also find uh, some some benefit to, to symptoms as well. But the, the initial approach is let's teach them how to dance and let's have a good time together. You mentioned that you have one class, and that includes individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's and their friends, family, and caregivers. doesn't matter what level they have. When a person calls and they say, I'm really stage four Parkinson's, um, I'm just about in a wheelchair, do you have a special class just for folks like myself who really are having difficulty standing for longer than a minute or two? What's your response? The response is that the class is going to be just perfect for you. Um, you will not be left alone. You will be able to participate in as much of it as you feel comfortable, um, and the teachers will do everything they can to make you feel very welcome. We do have several people who are who are at stage four, I would say, in our class and who are in wheelchairs. 
um, and they are um, they are absolutely regular in their attendance. They enjoy themselves. The teachers love them. It's you know I think it's a very positive experience. So we just welcome them in, and I think I think people are a bit taken aback by that because they they're so used to feeling like they're outside of the the mainstream, even in Parkinson's, that they're they're sort of like left behind, um, or that they're they're at a point of no return. And I think the message that we're giving is no, 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 no. come come back, be part of this. Uh, you're not going to be pressured to participate at a level that's uncomfortable for you, but your your way of moving and your um, mobility are are beautiful and welcome here and we want you to be part of this this experience and i think that message alone is very very powerful for them at the beginning of the program i listed the many different cities and localities that have sponsored dance for pd programs and classes we're talking about classes in India, in Italy, in the UK, in Germany, in Israel. We're talking not just the United States, but across all countries in the world. How in the world did these come about? Well, they each came about in a very different way. But um, they, at some point, somebody in that location came to New York, or we went to them, and work with them to train the teachers. So uh, about four or five years ago, we started receiving calls from people all over the world asking, how do we get involved with this program? How do we learn what you're doing? And at that point, we hadn't even thought about training teachers. We thought we have this program here in Brooklyn. And when we go out on tour, when the Mark Morris Dance Group goes on the road, we ought, we, we were all, at that point already offering dance for PD community classes wherever we performed. Um, but we hadn't really thought to the next step of, oh, this is something people actually want in other communities. We thought, you know, maybe this is just a Brooklyn thing. So over time, um, we started to develop a, a a way of training people that at the beginning it was really just sharing information of what we did. This is what we do. Anyone have any questions? And now has become quite a sophisticated and comprehensive set of training modules and information for dance teachers, but also for um, other professionals. We have physical therapists, occupational therapists, uh, dance therapists, physicians, nurses who come to our workshop and, and take what they, what they can um, and, and apply it to whatever their current practice is. So all of those people who have started classes, or almost all of them, have, have come through either a Brooklyn workshop or a workshop that we've done in another city um, and have started classes that way. Now, the training isn't enough. It, it's, we hope it's good information, but a lot of what's required for starting this program is a very close uh, collaborative uh, negotiation among different partners in each city um, to start and sustain a class. And that's more about sort of community outreach and um, you know, good best practices of administration than anything else. So we do both. We we train teachers, but we also do everything we can to um, to help programs start. Just as an example, you did mention India. Um, Maitali, who's uh, the, the teacher in Pune, India, um, had read about our program, and that relationship started out because they have a film festival in Pune that is about 
various forms of dance, and we they asked us to um, to be part of that. We sent them one of our one of our films. Um, she then called a couple months later, said, "Well, you know, we actually would love to start a program here," and we said, "Great. Um, we don't have the resources to come to you. Any chance you could come to us?" And she did. She came here for a month. She participated in all of our classes and all of the Brooklyn Parkinson Group activities. And then at the end of that, uh, the culmination was that she did our, our training workshop, and she has now gone back um, working with her colleague, Hrishikesh Pawar, and they uh, have started a very popular and successful program in Pune that, believe it or not, I think meets three times a week at the request of the participants themselves. So um, that's just an example of, of how that started. And, and each program has its own story. But um, generally, it's it's just the combination of training and then a very close support and nurturing process from us uh, and, and really bringing partners together who we think can successfully sustain a program. What we don't want is a flash in the pan. We don't want people to, to do four classes and then say, oh, we ran out of money, now what do we do? I don't really think that serves the community in the long run. We want the classes to be high quality and reliable so that people know once a program starts that it's something they can come to depend on. I think that's really important, especially with such a, um, a long-term um, challenge as Parkinson's. It's, it's something that you are going to have to deal with for a long time, and we want there to be programs that are available um, on an ongoing basis so that you can really feel a sense of accomplishment and, and mastery. Some of your teachers, it sounds like, actually spend weeks, if not months, actually immersing themselves in the work and the training at the Mark Morris Dance Group. How do you fit 10 years of experience doing the work that you've done into your three-day training workshop for people who just attend that? Well, it's impossible, but we try to do the best job we can. We have um, we have you know a, a number of written materials that are very comprehensive and really what we put into there is you know everything in the kitchen sink in terms of information so what we go over in the workshop is really a couple things we talk about what to expect from participants um, we don't teach them necessarily uh, you know we, we generally try to have a neurologist come and speak with the with the workshop attendees and answer any questions they have about the medical side but we don't expect people to be absolute experts in Parkinson's pathology and, and symptoms by the end of the workshop. But we do want them to know general range of things that people uh, are, are dealing with. Uh, we talk a lot about safety and how to work safely in the class. And we talk, uh, we actually work very closely with people in a, in a practicum setting so that they start to develop their own movement material based on our approach. What we really don't want, uh, we're, we're happy to give people all kinds of exercises that they can take and adapt on their own. But what we really like is for people to teach what they know and what they love so that they're not simply regurgitating a curriculum but are actually learning how to think uh, and how to adapt their own style of dance to this population of people. Um, and so we spend, we give them the opportunity to do that. We critique them uh, in a very gentle way and we we have them think about all of the considerations that need to uh, need to be taken into account when you're developing and designing a class for people with PD. We don't expect people to come out being experts in teaching this class. And in fact, we always emphasize that the best way you can 
get the information you need is to start start doing this work in the field to start really find you know get a small group of people together um, often people start with a pilot program with six to eight participants and they start teaching the class and then the most important thing getting feedback this is something that we emphasize based on our own experience we don't assume to know that the teachers or that we are going to know everything about what the participants are going through so from the very first class here in brooklyn we invited participant feedback and input what can we do better what do you like to do what's particularly uh, good for you to do what's particularly frustrating for you to do and that's really shaped what we do here in brooklyn we don't assume that that information is going to be the same for every single city so we train people to ask questions and we train people to uh, be open to participant feedback. I think our teachers, we hope our teachers come to see themselves as facilitators of an experience rather than a sort of uh, authoritarian figure or, or a, um, uh, somebody who's creating any sense of hierarchy. And this is something that the participants have remarked on. When you're dancing and when you're teaching the class, we feel like you're, you're with us. You're dancing with us. You're not dancing at us. And I think that's a very important distinction. But the best way to start is simply after your training is to, to dive in slowly and, and gradually in a, in a small group. Um, and people find that within a year, year and a half, uh, they're feeling a little bit more confident about, about working with this group. But we, you know, even after 10 years, we still have a very healthy um, sense of openness and um you know uh, we we always want to learn new things and we're always sensitive to what participants want to do and what they uh find frustrating so it's in that way it's a wonderful teaching experience because you you never get closed you never go on automatic with this program I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is David Leventhal, who's the program manager of dance for PD from the Mark Morris Dance Group in Brooklyn, New York. People listen to the radio show from literally all over the world, so we have listeners pretty much from all cities and many towns. Suppose there's a listener who's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or Austin, Texas, who's running a support group in either Austin or Baton Rouge, and they're interested in starting a class. How would they go about starting a program in their community? Well, the first thing we encourage people to do is to give us a call or send us an email because we keep a database of teachers and contacts and um, potential collaborators in as many places as we can. Basically, whoever has contacted us over the years to say, I'm interested in being involved in this program. We keep that name, and sometimes we keep it for a long time before we actually go back to it and say, hey, remember four years ago you said you might be interested in teaching this program? Well, we just got a call from a support group in Austin saying, hey, we're interested in this program, and then we, we make the connection. And I have to say, it the it, it can be a bit haphazard, but um, it works very well. Um, because what we really want is for um, people from the community to say, we want this. We are not in the business of selling this program, pitching this program, um, 
cold selling anything about this program. We want the community to, to say we'd like to do this, and then we are more than happy to help bring people together to make it happen. Um, so, uh, Rob, I, I think on your website there's information about how to contact me, but you can um, you can find and contact us through our website, which is danceforpd.org, uh, danceforpd.org, and you'll find contact a contact link right on there and and we'll go from from there. So we, you know, we welcome people to contact us and and sometimes we don't have an answer right away. Sometimes in some cities we we don't have any dance teacher contacts. And at that point we'll go back to the group and say, "Do you have any contacts in the dance world or or not? If if not, then I will actually do some research and find out um who might be a partner." This actually happened very recently in Charlotte, North Carolina. I got a call from the Parkinson Association of Carolinas uh, about a year ago, and they said, you know, we're very interested in starting a program. Do you know any dancers in the area? And I said, no. <laughs> um, but uh, let me think about it and see what, what we can do. Um, and I did some research, and I found North Carolina Dance Theater, which is a very established and respected dance organization in Charlotte. And uh, I called them up out of the blue, and I said, listen, um, somebody in your community has requested uh, a dance for PD program in Charlotte. Are you interested? And uh, they really didn't have to think about it very much. They said, yes, we would love to do this. And we worked together for many, many months, um, and we actually just had a training workshop in Charlotte last month to bring all of those teachers together, work with them so that they can start a program. And the, start, the program is actually starting in a couple weeks. So that's a that's a... A good example of how you know one call can make all the difference. What is your email, David? So if people want to email you directly, how would they do that? Sure, my email is very easy. It's just uh, my name, David at mmdg dot org. That's David at mmdg, as in Mark Morris Dance Group dot org. We also have some a phone number because I know not everybody uses email uh, these days. And my, my number is um, 646-450-3373. To summarize for everyone then, as I understand it, if a person listening is interested in becoming a teacher of a support group, they need to contact you and let you know about their interest, even though they might not know of a group that would like to be able to participate in the program. And also a person who is thinking, well, uh, my support group would be interested. We don't know how to get it off the ground, and nobody we know of could lead the group. They need to contact you, too, and then just say, we're interested in having uh, a program here in our community. And with that information, who knows where it might lead. You might be able to connect up a teacher with them. So in essence, anybody interested needs to contact you. Exactly. I mean, they don't have to, but I think it could be beneficial. Uh, we do have some some programs where people have have read about it and they go out seeking teachers on their own, and that's that's great. And then they say, "Listen, we've got a teacher. When's your next training?" Um, and that that can work. But we we are very happy to be uh, a matchmaking service when it works, and um, you know sometimes we're able to to make a match immediately. But it, it would be great also to hear from from professional dance teachers out there. Um, because there are several communities that are just waiting to have somebody uh, qualified to be able to lead them, and and it's you know I keep having to write every couple of weeks and say I haven't I haven't found anyone yet or I haven't heard from anyone yet, and 
so it's good to know from from everybody, and then we can make the matches as as we go forward. I'm lucky in a bit, I think, because I know that you happen to be in New York City or Brooklyn when we're talking here today, but I do know that you do a lot of traveling. For example, just next week you're going to be in the Northwest in the wonderful state of Washington because there's uh, going to be a HOPE conference sponsored by the Northwest Parkinson's Foundation. Do you notice regional differences among the various Parkinson's communities who participate in your classes or come to your community pilot? classes? You know, I do notice slight differences, and, and this has actually um, informed our own teaching style. And, and when we did our some of our first classes on the road, um, we did them in the Bay Area, in Berkeley and Oakland, California. And that community just immediately gravitated towards this program. Um, and what we found was that people really liked doing more improvisatory exercises and sort of uh, creating their own dances than our Brooklyn group did. Um, the Brooklyn group is also very, very creative, and they have now gotten more comfortable with improv. But the um, the idea of, of improvisation really started, for us at least, um, in terms of integrating into the class, really started in, in Berkeley and Oakland, and that community brought so much enthusiasm and creativity to um, to our improvisatory exercises that it, it kind of influenced the rest of the program. Uh, in in England, when we've taught in in the UK, um, there's a there's a strong interest in what is called community dance in the UK, which we don't really have here so much. But this is really you know dance that's accessible to people in the community who, who may be amateurs, who are not interested in professional training, but who want to, want to dance together. And so there's, there's certainly an openness to it. But um, there's also a, you know, there, there's a, a certain um, sense of restraint, I think, especially among some of the gentlemen. So I remember teaching a class in, in Dorset, and most of the men came in in you know tweed jackets and and nice clothes to dance in. <laughs> oh, we're dancing today, and you know, it was a, a very very interesting um, approach to uh, you know or 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 opposite to the sort of sweat sweatsuits that we might have here in in Brooklyn. And of course, in England, after every class, there is tea and biscuits. That's an essential <laughs> part of the class, which we don't actually have here in Brooklyn, unfortunately. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but in in general, I've found that wherever we go, um, there's a there's a deep interest in in this kind of activity, and people seem very grateful to be able to do uh, do a, a dance class that is designed especially for them, and to do something together as a group, um, and that is that is universal. Wherever we go, there's there's really a a passion and excitement and a creativity among this community that is so inspiring. You've talked about the opportunities for people to start these programs in their own community. Do you have anything to offer an individual who may be homebound, for example, or who might live in a community that doesn't have the resources or teachers to start a dance for PD class? You know, Robert, we are working on a um, an at-home video uh, I just actually spoke with the, the filmmaker this week, and we are in the processes, uh, process of planning and um, producing such a video that we hope we'll be able to release in the spring of 2012. Um, the first volume of this will be uh, most of a class, at least the seated and the 
supported standing parts. And we're really designing it to give people the sense of being here in Brooklyn in our class um, with the original teachers and William Wade, our fabulous musician. So we're hoping it's um, it's it's not simply another exercise video for people to do, but really captures the sense of fun and artistic engagement that we have here every week. And that's that's our goal. I, I hope we get at least close to that because it really would we hope will make a difference in in people being able to access the program who may be in a city where there isn't uh isn't a dance class or may be quite isolated in a rural area um so we're we're actually hoping that by uh may or june of 2012 uh we will have a video that people can do and if you are interested in being on the list for that video please let us know through either my email or phone number or our uh our website because i'm uh, interested put me (laughs) okay i'm writing you down (laughs) put me down i I, i'd like to know and i'll certainly get the word out to people uh when it's released so everybody will know it's an opportunity how has this program affected you personally and how has it affected you professionally well when we started you know I, i didn't i didn't know how it would become such a huge part of my life and really would be the reason for me transitioning out of a performing career into a teaching and um, uh, program management career. Um, and I, I'm so glad that it has. It's meant it's meant an incredible amount to me, uh, both personally and professionally. I think the thing that stands out for me is that it's completely changed my perception of what dance can do for individuals and also for society. As a professional dancer, I think you get quite cloistered into your world. You know, that dance is about a very uh, sort of elite level of training and performance. Um, your life becomes very structured around the idea of your own your own performance. And over time, um, I, I found that tiresome. I wanted to give back. I wanted to do something that was reaching the community and reaching society at large in a different way rather than simply people um, buying tickets and coming to see the show. And that's a wonderful experience. I, uh, the the thrill of seeing the Mark Morris Dance Group uh, live is something that um, will, will always be with me and something that I will continue to enjoy, um, especially now that I'm not on stage because I can actually go see the company. But I think there's a role for dance in our society that that deserves to be explored and I feel very honored to be able to be um, something of a humble ambassador in spreading the joys and benefits of dancing to um, to a wider community and that's something I never imagined when I when I embarked on my professional career that that would be something that would be so meaningful to me I think throughout our lives we're always trying to find things that 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 we find meaningful and that are are relevant to our lives. Um, And that changes over time. Uh, This program has really taken hold of something that um, has defined the the value of of dance and defined the value of of arts education. And in that way, has sort of transformed my whole um, personal and professional trajectory. Um, Again, totally unexpected, but but very, very uh, meaningful and, and um, beneficial for me in terms of changing my, my entire worldview about uh, what we're doing here on this earth.
How can someone get more information about the Dance for PD program? Well, the best the best way really is to go through our website. We have a number of resources on there. We have um, the videos that I've been referring to or excerpts from them, um, as well as a whole list of Dance for PD classes around the world that you can um, get more information about. Uh, we have some information about research that's been done on the program. We have a list, almost a comprehensive list, of every press article that's ever been written about classes in, in various cities, um, as well as info about uh, about how the program got started and a whole bunch of audiovisual resources. So we're actually in the process of starting a, a membership program where people can get you know, sort of extra extra access, and also um, we'll be able to join a listserv where where people in, in various communities will be able to actually communicate with each other um, about the class and about their own experience in it. So we're very excited about um, the idea of building both real uh, live communities in these various classes, but across a wider spectrum, building a, a virtual community of people who are engaged and active in these programs and and in their their own lives uh um so that there's there's a there's an ongoing conversation about how we can all work together and, and help each other uh live live better lives and and move towards a sense of well-being um so website's the place to start and uh we hope that that gives people you know ideas directions and information and resources People listening to the program here at the end have been dazzled, I know, by an explanation of what dance can do for any individual who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's. Some people, however, may be thinking, well, I don't know whether this is for me or not. I don't know whether I ought to take any action or not. Summarize for everyone, if you would, please. Why should anyone be interested in doing dance for Parkinson's disease? Well, I think in summary, in very short words, it's a lot of fun. It reengages your body with wonderful music. Uh, it's instructive and beneficial. And it's a great way to feel a sense of community again. And these are the things that I've heard from many participants that they feel is particularly lacking in their lives. They don't feel musical. They don't feel graceful. Uh, they don't feel like they're really making social connections. And they don't feel like they're having a lot of fun. And this program, at whatever level you come in, whether you do a couple steps or whether you're doing a full dance at the end, there is a place for you in these classes. And it's a place that will bring, we hope, will bring you enjoyment, um, enlightenment, uh, a sense of engagement in your own body uh, with your spouse or your partner um, and with the, the local community that is there to be with you, to dance with you, and to support you in your journey with Parkinson's. Um, going back to what I said originally, it's a class that is uh, there to help you escape from Parkinson's and at the same time it's there to remind you of a lot of things that you can do and think about that will help you manage some of the issues that come up with Parkinson's. We are centered on the West Coast, but David, the next time I happen to be in Brooklyn, New York, count me in as one of the participants in your program. It sounds truly amazing. 
Robert, you are welcome anytime. David Leventhal, Program Manager of Dance for PD from the Mark Morris Dance Group in Brooklyn, New York. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of all of the listeners for being on the show today. And thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you, and uh, I'm very honored to be part of your show. Thank you. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this program, that you are on the road to recovery. May you have a magnificent week as you dance your way to joy and happiness. Have fun. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio.